Hello, and welcome to Here's My Number, So Call Me Ishmael, the podcast formerly known as In the Heat of the Night of the Living Dead. It's a cultural quiz show, and so much more. That music you just heard was brought to us by excellent friend and excellent musician Jude Schuma. You should check him out. Every opportunity you have to listen to music should be spent listening to him and the music that he makes. I am Tony, and this is Austin. Hello, Austin. Hello, Tony. How are you? Um, I'm good, good. Tony. My, my sixth-generation iPod Classic bit the dust today, which was the, the most jarring celebrity death for me in this year of celebrity <laughs> deaths. Uh, but um, I'm doing okay. <laughs> Almost as if we planned it, that transitions well into the theme of today's episode. Ah! Which we didn't is plan it. Dead. I'm surprised. On arrival. Yeah, we didn't actually plan it, but I do sort of feel like that may have been floating around in the back of your head um, somewhere unconsciously. Yeah. Sir, have I ever met you before? Can you tell the audience <laughs> if I've met you before? We have met each other before. In fact, it has been. Fewer than 24 hours have passed since the last time we saw each other. And it's been, it's been too long, even then. Yes. How have the last, well, besides the death of your iPod, how have the last 20, almost exactly 20 hours been in your life? Well, they, uh, pretty uneventful. I fell asleep with some pizza rolls in the oven. Um, so those got carbonized. But the smoke woke me up. My alarm did not wake me up. To, to take them out of the oven, but the smoke inhalation gotcha. did the trick the, in time. No fire so, alarm or anything went off? No, I don't think we have I don't think we have working smoke detectors. So <laughs> it's all it's the nose. Uh, it's all the nose. Okay. Do you have a carbon monoxide detector? <clears throat> because you know that carbon monoxide is silent is odorless and uh, what's the odorless and sightless Colorless. Colorless. Um, does anyone does anyone under the age of thirty own a carbon monoxide detector? Do you own one? I do not. No, I can say with one hundred percent confidence that I do not. All right, so that's one hundred percent of our sample size. Right. <laughs> says no. Although I, did, I will say this: I, I do have a smoke alarm, and the fact that I did for eight months live in your apartment and didn't know that I didn't have a fire alarm just as a backup. Uh, is is right now quite disconcerting. So it was just sitting in the bottom of your suitcase, just gasping for air, gasping for smoky air. And it just didn't have the opportunity to be holstered and beeped. (laughs) Oh, well. Austin, uh, we'll we'll deal with your life and death situation later. Um, But for now, let's get to the cultural trivia. As I said, today's theme is DOA, as in dead on arrival. Doesn't bode well for our first our first podcast. Yeah, that's kind of the joke. Is that we this being the first episode, we are on arrival, and the DOA as the theme sort of implies that we are dead thereupon. Mm. So that was kind of the that was kind of the joke. So our first category is fictional deaths, wherein we are going to lead using moviebodycounts.com. What I'm going to do is I'm going to read to you the rules for which... So Movie Body Counts, I mean, it does exactly what you think it would do, is they count the number of deaths in a movie. Um, sure. And Who so counts? I, I think it's crowdsourced. Is it crowdsourced. I would love to meet 
some of the folks that contribute to moviebodycounts.com. I think they'd be great <laughs> well, conversationalists. Well, you might – yeah, first, you were, you're definitely right about that, and I heart, heartily agree. You might be hard-pressed to find them because I don't think the website has been updated since 2009. Ooh. Um, so, well, what about Avatar? <laughs> right. So I, I'm going to quick give you a rundown of, the, of, of the, the simple guidelines so that you have a sense of, like, how they do the counts – and then I'm going to ask you about some movie counts. You ready? Okay, I'm ready. Here's, here's the simple guidelines. First question. Can you see a dead body plainly? Count it. Can mm. you see a mortal hit? Count it. Did someone die on screen? Count it. Was a scene shown and then at the last second cut away? Count it. Do not count deleted material on DVDs. That's in all caps. So evidently that's okay. very important. Uh, Does it have anything on there about... Um, if a character delivers a sick, sick burn to another character, <laughs> um, but you don't see the aftermath, count it. Yeah, kind of a coup d'etat, if you will. Or coup de gras? What's, what's the one that kills? I think, so coup de gras sounds like hit of grace. So I think that's like when you mercy, mercy kill someone. Okay, that makes sense. And then, and then if you if you spite kill someone, it's coup d'etat. Is that what it is? Well, coup d'etat. I don't know what the actual translation of that is, but a coup d'etat is like a, a like an overthrow of a established leadership system. So hmm. I don't actually know what the translation on that is. You know, there's only one way to find out, and that's to Google it. So I'm going to Google it. Uh, let's see here. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> here yeah, we keep go. that in here. Uh, sometimes translated as blow of state or hit of state, but the little translation is stroke of the state. Ooh, that's a lot sexier than hit of state. Yes. It also has nothing to do with actually killing someone, which is what you were trying to use it as. Well, here I am with my Google um, with coup de gras or coup de grace, which is a final blow or shot given to a, giving to kill a wounded animal or person. So was I right about um, it being you were right. a mercy killing? It, a mercy killing. Uh, some of the synonyms are kiss of death Ooh. and a finishing blow, which, you know, could both also be slang terms for fellatio, I think. Um, <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> um, the <laughs> All right. I want you to name for me the top five movies by death count. And recall that these are haven't been updated since 2009. Uh, 2009. Yes. And I will say that all these top five movies you have heard of, like there are some weird ones on this list, but the top five are definitely not so weird that you have not heard of them. Okay. <clears throat> well, I can, I can admit that I've never been to, what is it, moviebodycounts.com? Yes. Okay. Um, never visited it, which is, which is amazing. I do think that I have kind of a, a general sense of the bloodiest movies around 2009 because that's when I um, was a senior in my church youth group. Uh, and we heard a lot about, uh, about you know, Thou Shall Not Kill and, and these, these horrible movies. Um, so I, I might put Kill Bill up there, the first one. Kill Bill does not appear anywhere. As far as Ooh. I can tell, on the top, gosh, I don't see it, dude. Let me see. Let me see if it appears in the top 100. 
Oh, shit. It if it doesn't... Kill Volume 1 does appear at number 68 with 95 kills. 68? And come on, 95 kills, that was a respectable guess. Uh, was it? Because the number one has 836. Holy cannoli. I'm going to put at least one of the Lord of the Rings movies. Hey, there you go. Up there. Okay. Yeah, uh, Return of the um, King is number one at 836. Number one? Yeah. At 836. Incredible. Um, when, when the Oliphants... Uh, go down. Do they count that as one? Like Gimli yes. wanted to? <laughs> they do okay. still only count as one. Okay. Although, actually, um, the Oliphants themselves I don't think count because they are animals um, and the animals only count in the miscellaneous category. Right, and this was 2009, so we didn't realize animals felt pain right. at that point. It's, it was a it was a dark time. Okay, so do I get the point for that one? Uh, yeah, yeah, even yeah, though absolutely. I guess I kind of shotgunned it with... You did shotgun it with three of them, especially given that Fellowship of the Ring does not have very many deaths in it. It's true. I probably could have narrowed that down to the Battle of Pelennor Fields and been been in safe territory. And, and okay. I will, say, I will say that the Two Towers is number six. At oh, not bad. So, yeah, not bad. So, um, a movie that... that that thousands of Christian parents allow their kids to watch because it has a redemptive narrative in it also happens to be the, the bloodiest movie of all time is what we're saying. Uh, yeah. Although, <sighs> I mean, it's mostly orcs that die. It's true. They're, they're subhuman. Right. Yeah. Inferior race. Right. Although Tolkien would not say so. I, it wouldn't he? He wouldn't. Um, he got out of that by saying that orcs in themselves were not evil, but they young orcs grew up in an environment where the only way to survive longer sure. than five minutes was to become evil. Sure. So, yeah, I'm sorry I'm distracting us from these questions. Number one, Lord of the Rings. Lord of the Rings. Number two, Pearl Harbor? Michael Bay's Pearl Harbor? Would that be up there? Uh, Pearl Harbor is number 26, so not a okay. terrible guess. Yeah, number 26 right. at 153. Um, a hint for number two. So the there is a actor who is the lead role in this film who was also in Return of the King. Rudy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, the post credit scene in Rudy where the entire stadium just massacres themselves? <laughs> it, gets, it gets dark. <laughs> it, is, it is not it is not rudy um did you know that i um quick side note i i met the actual rudy uh i went to a, a speech that he did with my father and uh i was probably the youngest person by 50 years in the crowd and there was a point where the rudy i don't know his real name um i, I think his real name's rudy he said the first person to get to stage wins a signed copy of this vhs and so I ran up and got it because I was sprightly and young. Uh-huh. But my parents wouldn't let me watch it because it had too much language in it. Oof, so I, I have a signed copy of Rudy. Well, I have too, much, touched... too much language and, you know, the post-credit scene. Oh, right. Yeah, just the bloodbath, right. the, Notre, the Notre Dame, the massacre at Notre Dame. Right. So I have a signed copy of Rudy. I have touched the hem of his garment. Okay. And I have not seen the film to this day. Really? So you never um, got around to it? Never That's got around good. to it. Okay, very good, but not. that was not the clue you were giving me. But there me. are fewer than 610 on-screen deaths. Okay, so you said a lead role. Yeah. 
Um, Not even a lead role. I would go so far as to say the lead role. Oh, um, Pirates of the Caribbean. Okay, you've you've got the right actor now. Yes, Kingdom of Heaven. You are so good. Okay, good, good, good. Yes, 610 on-screen deaths in Kingdom of Heaven. Goodness, including one man that gets shot through the balls with an arrow. Um, Including that man. Visceral. It is grotesque. Uh, The next Um, movie is also historically inspired. Loosely inspired. Uh, Braveheart? Uh, Hey, good guess. That sits at number 20. Okay. It, it is appropriate that this movie is positioned at number three in the in the order. Mm. Um, so it's it's gotta be the three musketeers. Well okay. <laughs> oh, wait, you understood uh, you understood the, the nature of the hint, I think, but either it's a toss up between the three amigos <laughs> starring Steve Martin or the three caballeros, which was a Disney movie starring Donald Duck and his two brothers. And that's my final answer, Tony. Again, um, <laughs> again, you have sort of, I believe that you have understood the spirit of the hint, uh, but you have neglected to take into account the wider categorization that we are considering. Hmm. No, I think I was. Um, three. Okay. Um, I mean, one ooh. third of the title is the number three. And the other two-thirds are the numbers zero and zero. The movie is 300. Okay. Uh, um, 600 deaths there. That's two for every, that's two for every two, Spartan. Two times the number of Spartans involved. Although given that, spoiler alert, 299 of the Spartans die. That's really not mm-hmm. a great KD ratio when it comes to the Spartans. Right, and I have not seen 300, so thank what? you for the alert. And then uh, you didn't give me a chance to take my headphones off. But that's all right. Have you really not seen 300? Haven't seen it. Oh, man. I know some of the cultural uh, touchstones from 300. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When the guy falls into the, in the pit. Yeah. And when the girl tries to see how many marshmallows she can fit in her mouth. That's a scene that I remember. Those are, those are, the, two, those are two, the two first deaths in the movie. And then there's 598 after that. <laughs> right. Uh, um, so the next movie is also... <sighs> Historically inspired, but even more loosely so. Uh, it is in sort of the same region of the world. Um, same region, same region of the world. Uh, was Brad Pitt in it? He, yes, he definitely was. Okay, I'm going to go with A River Runs Through It. Um, <sighs> Troy. It's got to be Troy. Yes, it's Troy. Okay. Totally is Troy. We're coming in at a close fourth with 572. Uh, and then the fifth one is also historically inspired, although I don't actually the Patriot. Know, uh, good guess, uh, but n- not correct. I don't actually know how much history there is, but it certainly takes place in a historical environment and involves hmm. a historical class of warriors. Ooh, class of warriors. Yeah. It is the last samurai. One more little part of this section of uh, fictional deaths that I want to cover is, is TV characters that are killed off because of something an actor did, which is, so there's some really interesting ones. I just, uh, I picked like four that I really like. There's some number, some number around there. Do you have any guesses as to the, some of the ones that were my favorite? Ooh, um, I think the guessing would kind of spoil the intrigue of this. I'm just going to let you go through and, uh, you know what? Sure. 
and give them to me. Sure. Charles Sheen, who you may remember from the television show Two and a Half Men, he he was killed off for uh, his character was killed off. It's just sort of gruesome. Evidently, he was uh, he was killed by uh, falling off a metro platform in Paris, which I don't think happened on screen. As far as I can, t- I mean, I've never seen the show, so I can't really say. But it's oh wait, this he dies in Three and a Half Men. Well, the show is called Two and a Half Men, but yes, he does. His character oh. dies. Goodness. Yeah. So then, is it is it two men after that, or is it is it well, one got, and a half? They men? got uh, a Kutch to to cover for him. Oh, classic. What, so he was he was like demanding a pay raise, even though he was already the highest paid actor on TV. This was also around the time of his sort of infamous. His breakdown. His breakdown, so to speak, yes. Um, another one, uh, so this is an animated show wherein the uh, voice actor was miffed by the riff. Do you get the, the rhyme there? <laughs> miffed by the riff on Scientology by this television show. Perhaps oh, stop, stop. I know this one. Yeah. This is Chef from South Park. Oh, you're so good. Yes, the, the actor's name is Isaac Hayes. And he, he said that the, the writers demonstrated intolerance and bigotry towards religious beliefs of others. Really? Yeah. Good for him. Yeah, although he didn't really intervene until it affected his religion, because they've also made fun of Islam and Christianity and, you know, basically everything oh, but those aren't, exists. Those aren't real. There's only, there's only one true path, yes, and that's There's only one true God, and his name is Scientology. <laughs> Do you know how they killed Chef on the show? I do not know. He fell off a bridge, was impaled by a branch, and then eaten by a mountain lion and a grizzly bear. Wow, so they didn't they didn't let him go with any grace. He grace. kind of just Oh, come on guys. I usually have I have a pretty high degree of respect for those boys. But that's a little that's a little low brow. Come on. <laughs> I mean Come on. That's the show does occasionally appeal to more lowbrow uh, efforts. Okay. Uh, another character, this this one I found sort of interesting. The guy who played Tuco Salamanca on Breaking Bad. He was See? Uh, he was like one of the early one of the early drug dealers. Uh, CC, he was uh, he was loco. Right. Yes, he was loco. Right. They killed him. Spoiler alert. They killed him because he just asked to be killed. Like wow. He just he thought the character was too hard to play. So they asked he asked him to kill him. <laughs> Can you imagine them kind of like calling him at his home saying, "What what do you think his name is in real life?" Let's well, say I, I know what his name is in real life, and it's Raymond. Okay, so they call him up, Raymond. You're you're two hours late, and he just kind of, rather than getting out of bed, says, "Oh, just just kill me, just kill me." Off. <laughs> I can't make it in this morning. Just <laughs> you know, he did have to be there for the day that they filmed his his killing, right? I mean, it's, it's... Oh, that's true. That's true. So that's the end of our fictional deaths category, which moves us to our next category, which is real deaths. Man. Austin, you've alluded to celebrity deaths this year. This calendar year has been just terrible. Um, it's been just a, it's been, um, yeah, I don't know what else to, I was trying to think of those, those fields where people got killed yeah. in Cambodia. Yeah. I think it's, but uh, I, I think it's the killing fields. It is the killing fields. <laughs> Right. Were you actually not able to come up with that? I thought you were joking. <laughs> no, uh, that was. This is the most serious I've been. Okay. On this podcast, okay. uh, and it's that I could not come up with the Killing Fields. Okay. From 
I guess that's so. Yeah, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. A couple celebrities that died this year, and by a couple, I mean a bunch. Arnold Palmer, Gene Wilder, Kenny Baker, Edward Albee, Eli Weissel, or Weasel, or Weissel? How do you pronounce his name? I think it's uh, Easel. Really? No. Okay. I have no idea. Well, you said you were being serious. I always thought that she that uh, that it was Ellie and that it was a she, and and I thought that when I saw the the article on the Guardian, they had gotten the thumbnail mixed up because surely that's a woman, but. Yeah, uh, Ellie Weasel, Eli Weasel was, in fact, a male. I have not read Night. Okay. Um, well, I didn't even know that he died this year because of all the people who have died this year. Gordie Howe, Muhammad Ali, Prince, Harper Lee, Alan Rickman, David Bowie, Leonard Cohen. Jiminy Christmas. The first question in this category, Austin, is which of those deaths made you the saddest? If we can be real here for a second. Let's be real. And you know what? <clears throat> be as real as you can be. Hmm. That's the most inspiring thing I've heard today. Besides the lady at Taco Bell who gave me a ticket for a free taco because she messed up my order. Oh. That inspired me to come back to Taco Bell tomorrow. <laughs> um, that inspired tangible action on your part. I think that Muhammad Ali was one of those deaths that the the social media buzz didn't stay around for as long as it should have for him being such an influential um, person in the civil rights movement. But my, the one that made me the saddest was definitely David Bowie. He's, I've, he's been my, one of my favorites since I was 11. And, you know, my dad was playing him for me on the radio and turning down, uh, turning down the radio when he'd say bitch or, uh, (laughs) Other such Always words. Looking out. Always looking out. So that was the one that made me the saddest. I have a I have a tattoo that is is in memoriam of David on my arm. Yeah. Yeah. The next question the in this category is which of these deaths made me the saddest? Oh boy. Which of these uh could you just as fast as you can read through them again? <clears throat> Arnold Palmer, Gene Wilder, Kenny Baker, Edward Albee, Eli Weissel, Gordy Howe, Muhammad Ali, Prince, Harper Lee, Alan Rickman, David Bowie, Leonard Cohen. I'm going to say it's a toss-up between Gene Wilder and Alan Rickman. Oh, you're very good. Um, so my top two, I was actually uh, I was actually going to give a tie between Alan Rickman and Harper Lee, because Harper Lee is slash was an American treasure. Yeah, um, is. But uh, now, she, now she's a buried treasure. Now she's... Oh, grim. Uh, yeah. Yes. Um, this is just a practice run, right? This isn't gonna, <laughs> no one's going to hear this. Uh, the next, the next question I, I want to ask you about is: Do you know any people, and you do, who were nominated slash won Academy Awards posthumously? Hmm. Posthumously. Yes. Does that just mean they weren't there at the ceremony? I'm not. I'm not sure it what that means, word means. It means they weren't there because they were dead. Oh, okay. So, so posthumously is how I've always said it. Yeah, I think. Or post post hummus. Post hummus. Post hummusly. Yeah. So basically, basically, what I'm asking you is, at which pre award ceremony did they serve hummus? Right, right, right. <laughs> it wasn't the it wasn't the 2001 Oscars, if you know what I'm saying. It, it was not. You're right. <laughs> hmm. Maybe uh, Marlon Brando. Uh, no, 
No, no posthumous okay. awards. How about? There are two very famous young actors who died young. Okay. James Dean? Yup. He got two posthumous nominations. Uh, James Dean is buried about 10 miles from my home in Indiana. Oh. So No, he, he, he was nominated for East of Eden and Giant, which was Giant oh. is sort of the sequel to Big. Oh, okay. Right. Where instead of growing up into an adult overnight, uh, James Dean grows up into like a really big adult. <laughs> and it was a sequel. <laughs> and who is the other famous actor who died young? Other famous actor who died young. Way more um, recent. Heath Ledger. You got it. Nominated for? And for his role as the Joker? Yes. Well done. Okay, because I know it wasn't... Um, it wasn't uh, Dr. Mr. McGorian's Wonder Emporium. of Dr. Parnassus. Oh, I did like that one. Was I, was thinking of Spy Kids. I was thinking of Spy Kids 3D, I think. <laughs> um, you were right to think that that was not a very good movie. Right. And also, with, uh, Walt Disney won, an, won a, a posthumous award for Best Short Film Animated, Winnie the Pooh and the Blustery Day. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I want to tell you, so there's a guy who, the guy who has the most posthumous nominations is a strong contender for most interesting man in the world. His name is Howard Ashman, and he's got, he has four posthumous nominations, three of which are for Beauty and the Beast, one of which is for Aladdin. So he's like a music, music man. Uh, He spent two years in the Peace Corps in Burkina Faso, which is just like totally unrelated to his career, but it's pretty interesting. He also co-wrote a musical based off of Kurt Vonnegut's novel, God Bless You, Mr. Rosewater. He also co-wrote Little Shop of Horrors. And wow. he helped write the music for Oliver and Company, the Disney musical, The Little Mermaid, Aladdin, and Beauty and the Beast. Goodness. This all in a 40-year lifespan. So he's a pretty interesting dude. He, um, now, what's, his, what's his name again? Ashman? Uh, Ashman. Howard Ashman. Ashman. He died from complications of AIDS in 1991. Which was a like crazy sad time to have AIDS. Right, absolutely. I will be shocked if nobody makes a movie about this dude because he just he's just a very interesting fella. That's Oscar season gold right there. It is. Um, Eddie Redmayne. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. Howard Ashman, as portrayed by Eddie Redmayne. Uh, the next real deaths questions we're going to handle are unfinished novels. So I'm going to tell you the name of the novel, and I'm going to ask you to name which author did not finish it. I think I have one. I think I have this one in the bag. Okay. The name of the novel is The Decemberists. I can tell you for certain that um, J.K. Rowling did not finish that novel. She didn't. I can tell you that. um, Okay. She also did not start that novel. Okay, um, so, so I should have specified that. The, the question that I'm going to ask you is, this author began the novel, but then did not finish it. But then did not finish it. The Decemberists. Uh-huh. It will help if you know what the historical origin of the name... So the, the reason I did this is because there's a band called The Decemberists. Um, right. I but, don't change on that. Yeah, okay. That so, one. So, right. We'll all come crazy. That one? Yeah. The oh, Valencia. Yeah. That one. That one. Yeah. So uh, it would help to know the historical origin of that name. That would be a huge hint in this regard. Do you know what the historical origin of that name is? Of the Decemberists. 
I do not know, but I'm guessing, based on my knowledge of the Decemberists, that it was... No, I got nothing. A political party. It, it, it uh, was, actually. It was a political revolution in early imperial, imperial Russia. Really? Uh, or maybe not early. Okay. It was sometime in imperial Russia. So, so your hint is, he's Russian. Could it have been... Uh, it's got to be Leo Tolstoy. Oh, or... you're so good. No, don't, don't say, don't, don't say, don't say anymore. Oh, don't say anymore. You no, got it's got to be Leo Tolstoy. I knew that. Right. Yeah, Leo Tolstoy started it. Um, it was about somebody who who like participated in the Decemberist Revolution and the, or uprising, not really revolution. The the next book is the mystery of Edwin Drood. Edwin Drood. Yes, that's the right accent, by the way. Okay, so uh, bad. Bad British. Here's here's right. Yeah, exactly. Bad, terrible British accent writer. Um, here's here's another hint for you. Four of the top five characters listed on Wikipedia are orphans. Four of the top five characters. Wait, what? Can you rephrase that and so and are, explain to me? There are five characters listed on Wikipedia from this novel. Four of the four of them are orphans. Uh, Charles Dickens? Yeah. Okay. Uh, gosh, that guy had an orphan fetish. <laughs> he's, if, he's, if anyone did. He, yes. The, the, next, the next novel is The Last Tycoon, or it was republished in 1991 as The Love of the Last Tycoon. Hmm. The Love of the Last Tycoon? Right. So uh, the, the Last Tycoon is how it was... So it was published after his death, and then it was republished as The Love of the Last Tycoon. Mm, and, then, and then it was republished, uh, special edition was Revenge of the Last Tycoon. Right, exactly. <laughs> the whole series came out. Was it written during the, the, the early 20th century? Oh, oh, you're hot. You're hot. Okay. So I'm going to throw out some names. Just, just throw them out. I'm going to throw out uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Oh, my goodness. You're so good. Did I get it? You did. Wow. First try. Wow. And what's it about? Do you uh, know? It is, <clears throat> uh, according to Publishers Weekly, it is considered a roman a clef, uh, which means novel mm. with a key, which just means like it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a novel about like real circumstances, but there's like a veneer of fiction over it. Mm. Uh, yes, yes. And it is uh, about a film producer, sort of a film producer and his rival in Hollywood in early 20th century Hollywood. Cool. Yeah. Wow. Thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. You know, I got a, I got plenty of other books to read, so I probably won't read it. But well, um, and he never he, it, didn't, he didn't go to the trouble of finishing it, so I don't know that you need to go to the trouble of of reading it. Right. The next novel is The Pale King. Wow, you are you are doing a good job of giving me books that I am not familiar with. Nice. However, um, you have done a very good job of guessing the authors of the books that you are not familiar mm, with. That's what trivia is all about, Tony. Let, um, me, let me give you some hints. Okay. As uh, at the author's death, the book totaled over five hundred pages, and uh, the author, prior to his death, claimed that he was only about a third finished with it. Oh, goodness. So that gives you a sense of the uh, magnitude of the books that this author deals with. And <laughs> according to the Los Angeles Times, the themes of the book are loneliness, depression, and the ennui that is human life's agonized bedrock. 
the deeper um, the type of pain that is always there, if only in an ambient, low-level way, and which most of us spend nearly all of our time and energy trying to distract ourselves from. Christ. It's got to be David Foster Wallace. Oh, you're so good! It's got to be. That's exactly right. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, apparently, it's, uh, it's a hodgepodge book of, of like character descriptions and dialogue and like snippets from the Illinois tax code. Ooh. So it's, uh, yeah, it's all of like. That's what I'm reading right now, actually. That's the, I'm in the middle of the only tax code yeah, volume I one. I know you're, you're cooking up a tax evasion scheme, so I, I thought that that would hit close to home with you. <laughs> Great clue. Great clue that snippet from uh, the magazine. Thanks. Especially, especially from LA. Yeah, it was a double clue. Excellent. An excellent, you know, despite the fact that, uh, as, as far as I know, have you read anything by David Foster Wallace? I have read um, uh, "To Kill a Banana." To kill a banana fish is that okay. one of them? Uh, um, well, consider the lobster is one. Is, is consider oh, a fine day for banana fish is uh, J.D. Salinger. Okay, so and I have read. Person. I have I have started to read Infinite Jest, and I I for no other reason than I stopped. Um, I stopped. I, I enjoyed it. I just never, I never finished it, which is a regret. Yeah. Um, well, if you want to borrow it sometime, you know that I did, I did steal it from Nick. <gasps> so listeners, you can, you can tweet to us about who Nick is. Who is Nick? <laughs> it's kind of an Ayn Rand. Who is John Galt of this right. podcast? Um, <laughs> you'll never really know. And then you will know, and it'll be disappointing. Uh, yeah, that's a pretty good summary of Atlas Shrugged. <laughs> Did you know, here's a fun fact. So I haven't read Atlas Shrugged. Have you? I read it in high school. Okay. Yes. So then you probably know that there is a speech by John Galt in the middle of the novel that extends 70 pages. Oh, yes. It is. Yeah. Not the sort of scintillating fiction that I typically associate myself with. You know how in movies, movies that that have any sort of deeper complex processes that it's kind of it's difficult for the viewer to pick up on. Mm-hmm. And so there's that token scene of two people in a diner and one person is explaining how this shit works right. um, in a way that we're supposed to believe is organic, but it's it's very it's clearly not. plot exposition. Yeah. Like that scene at the end of Rudy, after they all massacre each other, where there's right. where Rudy and his coach are sitting in the diner talking about it. Yeah, they're saying, "What? Well, so, what do you think went wrong tonight, right. Sean?" <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's, that scene gets really weird because they break out of the fiction of the film and talk as actors to one another. But there's still, uh, yeah, they still act as though that happened. Right. So, Sean, how does it feel for all your friends to be dead, friends and family? Right. So picture that, but then for 70 pages right. and then by, <laughs> by a crazy person. Um, and you've got Atlas Shrugged in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, at, well, yeah, but then plus like 500 more pages because that book is not only 70 pages long. No, it's no, a, no, no. It's a massive book. And, then and was, they, should have, they should have called it Austin Shrugged because I was very, uh, <laughs> oh, I was very indifferent to it by the time that I finished. Uh, nice. I'm sorry. Uh, you should get into the the book review game uh, <laughs> wherein you <laughs> the entirety of your book reviews are parodies of the titles of the book that indicate how much you liked the book well that's actually the podcast that I, I'm working on 
that I'm planning on having you be a guest star next week. It's a five, it's a five minute podcast in which we uh, thank our sponsors and uh, I will, I will, I will read to you a fake book title and you will laugh and then we'll call it a day. <laughs> so if you're free next week, um, <laughs> more like the, I had a gas of the Mohicans. Oh, um, is, is, oh. is one example of a title that we'll use. That's gold, Tony. Thanks. I'll, 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 I'll email you the rest of my ideas so that we can use them on the other podcast. Okay. I, I'll, uh, let's, let's just be silent for 10 minutes while we, <laughs> while we, we go back and forth offline. Yeah, if, I, if you hear me giggling, it's because I've come up with a really good one. Uh, well, lest this podcast be dead on arrival, let's finish this So our last category, so we've, we've covered uh, real deaths and fictional deaths. Our last category is death by chocolate. Uh, a fun fact about the phrase death by chocolate is that when you Google it, one of the top results is an article about uh, the president of these United States, Barack Hussein Obama, purchasing a chocolate cake, a death by chocolate cake. Ooh. Do you want to make any guesses as to how many pounds this cake weighed? Well, if my grandma has anything to say about it, it'd be 666. 666 pounds or 66.6 pounds right or 6.66 i'm gonna guess i'm gonna guess a nice even uh 11 pounds that is not an even number it's just a 20 pound cake goodness that he declared that he was going to share with the crew of air force one oh but we'll harrison ford has been talking about (laughs) about yeah they regathered they regathered the cast and crew of air force one (laughs) and uh yeah and obama thought he should share Uh, this is uh, this has been coming a long time for you guys. <laughs> right, yeah, you guys really put together an excellent film, and I my last that I should honor you with a chocolate cake. I'm gonna pardon. I'm gonna pardon ten nonviolent offenders, <laughs> and I'm gonna I'm gonna buy a pizza party and a cake for the cast of Air Force One. <laughs> my last two acts as president. Right. Also, I, I okay. do not. I do not want to uh, skip over the fact that uh, the joke that you just made implies uh, not not only that your grandma believes that Obama is the devil, but also that the devil always does things in multiples of six hundred and sixty-six. Um, like everything he does is in multiples of six hundred and sixty-six, as if he's like a person with severe OCD who has to like open and close the door six hundred and sixty-six times. Oh man. Can you imagine that sitcom? That's that. Hey, honey, I'm home. (laughs) 30 minutes. Obsessive compulsive devil. Oh, my God. Oh, that's. Okay, let's also take another 10 minute break to write down episode ideas for obsessive compulsive devil. Uh, Anyway, so (laughs) that's so good. So uh, this 20 pound cake made me look into the Guinness Book of World Records to find what the largest cake ever made was. Uh, do you have any guesses about how big that cake was? The largest cake. Largest cake ever made. Oh, my Lord. Um, you, you may guess weight. You may guess dimensions. Um, I think at a certain point, a cake would... Uh, there's a ratio of deliciousness to to structural integrity. And I think that to have a moist, fluffy cake at a certain height... It wouldn't be able to hold itself up. So I'm going to say 11 feet high is the height. And then I'm just going to let you tell me how wrong I am. Uh, how wrong are you? So wrong. 
It was 33 meters tall. Oh, my goodness. What was it made of? Uh, well, they, the Guinness Book of World Records saw fit to include the ingredient list, so I will include it as well. Um, first, uh, the dimensions, 33 meters tall, 9 meters wide, so that's 108 feet by 29 feet. It weighed goodness. 20 tons. The ingredients included 1,750 kilograms of powdered sugar. That's 3,858 pounds. You know what? I'm, I'm just going to go with the metric system. So it's 1,750 kilograms of powdered sugar, 1,620 kilograms of sugar. So that's powdered sugar and uh, sugar. 1,620 kilograms of margarine, 162 kilograms of powdered milk, 243 kilograms of powdered chocolate, 100 liters of liquid sugar on top of the already enormous amount of sugar, and 3,240 kilograms of eggs, which is, I I am going to convert that into the imperial system because it's such a magnificent number, 7,142 pounds of eggs. And let's not forget, let's not forget the 400 kilograms that was a scantily clad jelly green (laughs) giant in the center of the cake. Right, yeah, the human being that they baked into the center to peel out after they sang happy birthday. Oh, that is a, it's it's infuriating, it's disgusting, and it's somehow making me hungry. I I did the math on the eggs, by the way, and eggs are apparently average about 60 grams, um, which means that they used 54,000 eggs. 54,000 eggs. Not even Gaston ate that many eggs for breakfast. And, and I, a few facts that I know about Gaston, every last inch of him is covered in hair. He's especially good at expectorating. Ooh, expectorating. Um, my friends and I in college played this fun game where you, uh, you, you switch out one of the verbs, the one-syllable verbs that Gaston does with profanities. Um, see if you know where I'm going with this. <laughs> um, no, no, no. So, uh, you, <laughs> this, uh, the, the premise of this is beautiful in its simplicity, Austin. I think the more that you try to belabor the point, the more that the beauty is lost. Um, give me some more chocolate. I will give you some more chocolate. Here's, here's the world's largest chocolate bar. Any guesses on how much that weighed? No idea. Hit me. 12,000 pounds. Jiminy Christmas. Uh, it was created in the UK. It uh, was... Four meters by four meters by 0.35 meters. So that's 13 feet by 13 feet by one foot, mm. which is a big candy bar. They don't give probably the covered amounts, it. They don't give the amounts of the ingredients. They just say that it included sugar, whole milk, uh, cocoa butter, cocoa mass, butter oil, and emulsifier. They don't even specify which emulsifier they used. Ooh, it's probably some gross shit like baked beans or Marmite. Are those emulsifiers? Uh, yeah, yeah. Isn't emulsifier like a chemical th- like? Like, eggs are an emulsifier. Yeah, eggs are an emulsifier. Um, mustard powder can be an emulsifier. Interesting. Um, the, the liquid from a can of chickpeas is a good emulsifier. Are you sure? Okay. I, you, between the two of us, I would describe you as the food expert. But I do maybe want to call into question the uh, mustard powder one. Am I crazy that maybe the mustard powder is the acid with which you combine a uh, emulsifier to make an emulsify you're not crazy okay um you are wrong okay actually you know tony i uh i've heard the mustard powder is a good thing to add when you're trying to emulsify something and that when you mix it with when you mix mustard seeds 
with vinegar, you end up with kind of a thicker, interesting, you know, mustard, and that's how mustard's made. That's very interesting. But I will not. I will not die on that hill. Okay. I. I surely will not. Um, I'm not gonna. I. Yeah. I. I don't think either one of us wants to die on Mustard Hill. <laughs> uh, either, Colonel, either one of us. Colonel, oh, I was just gonna make a Colonel Mustard joke. Uh but we we. But what were you gonna say? Because. I just said Colonel Mustard expecting. <laughs> right, yeah, I guess that's not much of a Colonel Mustard joke. Uh, I right. was going to say that Colonel Mustard told me to told me not to shoot until I see the whites of their eyes. Ooh, or the whites of their eggs. Or the whites of their eggs. Oh, hey, emulsifier okay. um, okay, jokes. So in post, here's what we're going to do. We're going to cut out everything that we've just talked about, and we're going to cut immediately from you talking about dying on a hill regarding mustard to me or you, one of us saying. Colonel Mustard told us not to shoot until we see the whites of their eggs. Yeah, yes. And uh, and that should be our first T-shirt. And we, and we will insert a laugh track uh, and then cut to music and then fade to black. Right. And then, uh, and then I'll come on here and say, uh, today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace. <laughs> Make a beautiful website. <laughs> a beautiful website um, for making beautiful websites. Uh, no, Austin, we're not allowed to talk about any any for-profit organization is not going to be talked about on the show until they give us money to do so. So I'm going to bleep out the word Okay. Can you replace it with no one like Gaston, no one like Gaston? Nope. Okay, you're going to bleep those out too? I might, I might bleep those out. Yeah, I don't know if my brothers will be listening to this, so right. I, yeah. Yes. Austin, I want to do one last thing about Death by Chocolate. Okay, can yeah, let's wrap this bad boy fictional, up. Can you name me a fictional character who is famous for being forced to eat an entire chocolate cake? Um, I don't think I could name him, but, oh, maybe I could name him. It's somewhere deep, yeah. somewhere deep. Cut into, well, tell, it's, me what, tell me what it's from. It's from uh, the Roald Dahl film adaption of Matilda. Yeah, I think it's also in the novel, or is it only in the film? Uh, I think it's in both, but you asked me for the film. So. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's on me. Right. Um, uh, what, is his, what is his name? His name is Bruce Bogtrotter. That would have been a deep cut if you had come up with that one. Yeah. And it will, probably, it will probably come as no surprise to you that there is, in fact, an article from uh, themirror.co.uk entitled, Cake Eater Bruce Bogtrotter from Matilda Has Transformed into a Hunk and Looks Completely Unrecognizable, colon, actor Jimmy Cars is best remembered for feeling the wrath of Miss Trunchbull in the 1996 children's classic. Oh, goodness. Um, that's just the headline? That is just the headline. In fact, goodness. that is about the same length as the article itself, because the article itself just includes a picture of him now. And, you know, I, unrecognizable is the right word. I don't know if hunk is the right word. Uh, and then the, the picture has the caption, he's easy on the eyes or something like that. So, yeah, there's that scene in Matilda where he's forced to eat the cake and Miss Trunchbull is yelling at him and then he gets to the end of the cake and the whole class is cheering for him. So it's a great scene. It really is. It's inspiring. And uh, it's inspired a, a legacy of childhood obesity. <laughs> um, and just, just that lesson of, like, you know, kids, just eat what you want. <laughs> well, Don't let people tell you what to eat. <laughs> or, or, or eat, perhaps even more accurately, if you eat a lot, people will cheer for you. Oh yes, that's uh, that's the nugget of truth. And then you will We've grow up to be a hunk, apparently. Uh, a Neville Longbottom, if you will. Oh gosh, you want to talk about a transformation? I do. 
Oh. Um, and that's the theme of our next episode is more than meets the eye transformers. <laughs> so, uh, stay tuned for that, ladies and gentlemen. Um, yeah, hopefully we, hopefully we don't die on arrival. He said, Oof. pulling it back to the theme of the episode. Uh, Austin, uh, it's been great. Everybody, it really has, you know, um, thanks for listening, everybody until next time. Goodbye. Um, and, uh, don't let the door hit you on the way out. That's our, that's our, (laughs) that's the thing we say at the end now. There you go. Perfect. (laughs) 